acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Another steep, snowy mountain road in Ukraine. Whoa, big hole. Watch out. But this time, there was nothing to fear on the other side. Hi, Maria! <laughs> we did it! <laughs> Before meeting with Father Abbot Gregory Wendt and Petro Tarenta, Paula and I made a whirlwind visit to see the Kofels at Mike's childhood home in Verkovina Bistra. Wow. (laughs) Tell her it smells so good in here. It was truly a whirlwind. We couldn't stay long, but in that time, Maria and Yuri buzzed around like two excited bees, showing us literally everything. Their cows and chickens, their farming tools, Mike's old sled, the dog. What's the dog's name again? Yuri, what are you doing? We talked so much and so fast, I was worried our translator, Yulia, was going to explode. The house wasn't too different from what the investigators who visited 20 years ago saw. Maybe the biggest difference was now they had a bathroom inside. They did have a lot of Byzantine images on the walls, but also photos of Mike when he was a kid. Between the framed pictures, we noticed they even had two photos of Paula, Mike, and me from some of our prison visits. At one point, Yuri came zooming into the living room with an old VHS tape. And he popped it into the VCR under their little color TV. It went staticky and black. Then, pixelated white letters flashed on the screen. It said, graduation. Sister Marie and Sister Michelle? It was Mike's high school commencement ceremony from Holy Cross, and we stood around and watched as so many of the people we've talked about through the years came gliding down the aisle. Father Damien. Father Damien. Here comes the boat. <laughs> the last person in the procession was Father Went. He walked through the auditorium door in a wide black robe with two huge white crosses on the sides. Seeing him on the video snapped me back into reality. Not long from now, the man on the screen would walk through a different door and reopen his own past. I'm Paula Barros. And I'm Melanie Bartley. And this is Sacred Scandal. But you would understand why we want your voice on here today. You get it. That right? is not you true. Get it. I came up on this hill to hear your version of the story. You know what I mean? 
I was going to ask you a question because you talk about the aftermath. Yeah. When is the aftermath and when does it start, when does it end? at the bridge where Pedro will be waiting for us. After leaving the Cofels, we drove back toward Uzgorod to drop off our translator, Yulia, and meet up with Pedro, who would lead us to the monastery. I'm scared that I'm scared that I might do something wrong and upset him, but I, I really just want to get to ask him the questions, you know? Yeah, I think this is him. Two days after our first visit there, all the snow already melted. So the impassable hill was a little easier to drive up. Yeah, this, this looks totally a lot less threatening. Yeah. It's a lot less the shining. When we got to the top, we were amazed by what we saw. It was a huge fenced-in clearing in the forest. In the far back corner, the new monastery with its gold domed top loomed over everything. Before the interview, Petro let us take a look around the monastery. And being inside was a little emotional for me. The skeleton there, you know, the remains is from Adam. You know, the first The walls were covered with Byzantine iconography, like the ones that used to be in Holy Cross. The ones that Paula and I saw were painted over just a few weeks before coming here. Do you have a church in Weaverville also, like this? We do, but it doesn't have any iconography. Well, first we had moved it to there. But Petro said they weren't painted over. These were the same murals from my school. They had them cut off the walls, packed into a container ship, and sent all the way across Europe to this new monastery. I was stunned to see those same images I used to look at every day, so far from Miami. We thought it was painted over. Yeah, I can't believe, I and can't here believe it is. this is possible. And here it is. It's amazing. It's not finished yet. You know, the outside has to be decorated and painted. This is like a rough, the rough job. The first After a few minutes at the monastery, Petro walked us across the grounds to a small cabin that they used for gatherings after Sunday services. Then he left to get Father Went. We came here searching for their perspective. When we first entered the cabin, we had no idea we'd be leaving a few hours later, feeling like we just heard an entirely different story than the one we thought we knew. Paula and I sat next to each other on one side of a table in the middle of the room. Then we waited for Petro to come back with Father Went. Do you kiss their hand? No. Do you see the sweat on my hands? I feel it. Literally. <laughs> you got it. Huh. You're amazing. I love you. You're smart. Let's be out here in an hour, cool. please. <laughs> oh, they're out of it. Hi. When he came in, he wasn't wearing the long black robe and tall hat I always remembered him in, but a black leather jacket. He was definitely still the tallest person in the room, but felt older than the last time I saw him. And Petro 
had to drive him over to the cabin, which was only a few meters away from their house. A huge part of me felt bad seeing him so much frailer than the image I had in my mind. And as a former student of Holy Cross, I felt guilty during the whole interview for bringing all of this tragedy back into both of their lives. And listening back to the recording a few weeks later, I feel like I sound way more agreeable with them than I should have been that day. He's in his late 70s, and we didn't know what to be prepared for. Petro told us that Father Wen's memory isn't always the best these days, so he might not remember every detail we were after. Yeah. Maybe, like, not even remember. Sit, sit in, sit in. I'd love it if you were in. Petro took a seat on a small sofa off against the wall, and Father Wen sat alone directly across from Paula and me. Sitting here like this, it kind of felt like an interrogation. I couldn't help but think of how we probably looked like the attorneys, Gay Levine and Edith Georgie, when they sat together across from the priests and heard nothing but the Fifth Amendment for hours. And at first, we wondered if things might be on that same strange course. Even though we already talked about the details of the interview for an hour earlier that day, we spent nearly the first 20 minutes of this conversation trying to navigate what would be on the record and renegotiating everything with Father Went. That what you said is true, with a caveat that I get to say that I don't want this going in or whatever after we get farther along. You know, you thought you thought we could be doing something good. I'm very much for anything that's good. Keep in mind that over the last few days, we only ever communicated with Petro. Father went, read, but never replied to our texts, and even called us through Petro's phone. By now... Petro felt kind of like the priest's handler. Also, and again through Petro, Father went asked for a list of questions that we might ask, which we shared. But it was clear when we spoke to him in person that he wasn't just drifting along in the background. He was getting ready to talk to us and preparing his responses. Other conversations were happening before we got there, too. Well, I spoke to Father Damien this afternoon. You did? Yeah, there's a... Very interested to hear what you were doing. Really? What did he say? I'm so curious. Um, I think he would have liked to have been here. <laughs> but I mean, I, I would love to interview him. Do you think he would let me? Probably not, because he doesn't like us. Oh, it's good that it's you. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not the one that likes really? you know, interviewing. But... Uh, I think he more or less came to the decision, if it's one of us, it's you. And once we did actually get the interview started, we were still worried how it might go. What felt like some of the simplest questions had the most complicated answers. I would love an introduction. State your name, please, for me, and who you are in relation to Holy Cross. The Holy Cross doesn't exist any longer. Who you were in relation to Holy oh, Cross. Oh, who I was. My name is probably the most difficult one of answers because uh, we were not simply priests and we were not simply monks, but we were monk priests as such. This aside about ecclesiastical titles went on for about a solid minute until he made his point. And even that response felt like he was maybe preempting later questions about his own titles. I never became a bishop, but 
almost all of the other positions at some point or another, I legitimately held. So, so getting back to what my name is, or what would you like to call me tonight? I want to know what you would like to be called. The name that was originally given to me by the bishop was Gregory. Um, okay, and your relation to Holy Cross back then, what was it? I was the founder, and uh, as long as we used the title headmaster, then it was me. Sometimes Father Went would answer our questions. Sometimes he refused. Then other times the priest would go on long tangents where it felt like he was trying to get Melanie and me to forget what we asked in the first place. As we talked, Petro would jump in to help fill the gaps. And we went on like this into the evening for the next few hours. We'd cover the eparchy investigation, the sex abuse allegations, and Sister Michelle's murder. And he'd tell us aspects of this case that we'd never heard before. We'll pick up our interview after a break. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Sacred Scandal. When we started talking with Father Went and Petro, we didn't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We worried they might kick us out if we immediately jumped into the difficult stuff. 
So we started simple with Holy Cross and how the idea came to start a religious school. It was basically where I started you out with. First, I wanted something that was serious about our religion. Saying our religion, I'm talking about the Catholic system, whether it's Eastern, Western, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But it was, that's how I grew up. So that was the thing. I wanted something serious about religion. Why? If religion isn't serious, what do we have? So that's why I was serious, because I said, this is serious. <laughs> I've always heard it serious. My mother said it was serious. Mm-hmm. My father said it was serious. So uh, that's the reason for religious. And the thing is, I was always attracted you know, to learning. I was very happy. Most of the kids were screaming and yelling that they had to learn Latin. <laughs> I was very happy I learning thank God Latin. for it every day. I thought it was always a help to us that we were plugged in to the local school system, not meaning the law, but uh, the Catholic schools, and which, you know, some of them are diocesan under a bishop, yes, and some of them are not ever under a bishop, and so forth. So that there's the sort of the structures of how they, you know, so was Holy Cross Academy and Monastery under a bishop? Well, yes and no. Okay, so as soon as we were established as a monastery, then that, once you're talking about a, a monastery that actually exists, then there's certain things the bishop has no right trying to do over there. That sort of thing. So monasteries are usually run by monks. And if you have a diocesan priest who knows nothing about monks, he's not going to be too helpful, at best. (laughs) So when you founded Holy Cross Academy um, and Monastery, as far as I understand, you were under the jurisdiction of the eparchy of Passaic, New Jersey. Is that correct? You, I'm not going to touch your answer because it's fine for where we want. That's fine. Though he gave unclear answers about Holy Cross's status within the Byzantine Catholic Church, Father Went was more than happy to talk about Bishop Andrew Pataki, who started the investigation into the school and monastery. And we had a really incredible bishop at one point, Andrew Pataki, and if, if you've read any. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dear old Andrew. Um, anyway, I don't want to get a bash Andrew's session because it, Sister Michelle and I fell into that too easily. Sister Michelle was not buying any of what Andrew Pataki was trying to sell, shove, you know, what you fill in your own verbs. She didn't have a, any uh, interest in him in the, from the get-go, and he pretty much sensed that's where it stood. But before it really all got bad, uh, uh, let me back me up to that one, because you should hear. Pataki was going to come, what they call visitation, and um, basically Sister Michelle got me in a corner and said, you're going to have to see to it that I don't punch him in the face. 
It's your job that he doesn't leave this place, you know, boom, two black eyes. I count it as one of my great errors of my life that when Pataki was ordained a bishop, I had an invitation to go to the Holy Land. And I could either go to the Holy Land or I could go to Pataki's, you know... Enthronement. Enthronement. Yeah, Yeah, this is called an enthronement, believe it or not. It's very fitting. (laughs) So that's the thing. I went to the enthronement, I never regretted it more, and I never got to go to the Holy Land. As he went on about Pataki, we didn't even have to ask Father Went why he disliked the bishop so much. May I tell you the question everyone would really want to know, but you're not asking? Um, What was Pataki interested in? Was he interested in Holy Cross's Holy Cross? Heck no. What would he like to have seen? Me fail. So at any rate, when, uh, you know, when he would get his ideas as a immediately obvious to me what he was going for. He wanted me out of there and that while I was gone, the school could be foreclosed on by the diocese, you know, specifically him, the diocesan bishop, because they wanted all the money. They wanted the money. And so that's why he wrote that letter to the Vatican that later you know, just it wasn't even that good. <laughs> Did you hear this part from someone else, a friend of a friend? Or we asked if he knew the Vatican's verdict on Bishop Pataki's suggestions, and he didn't really answer the question. But he said the result was clear. But the point is, Pataki, you know, received responses. Did I get thrown out? Did he get what he wanted? No. And what is the process if you want to switch from the Byzantine Catholic Church to the OCA, as you guys did? How how we do you did go that, about so that? I can't. How did you go about that? What was the process? Yeah, was you it had a to long process? Is it difficult? Is it? Well, first of all, you have to get acquainted with what is the Orthodox system of worship. So you have to go through all these things, which are only common sense. Uh, no, I was just going to say that we were practicing the Orthodox way in the Catholic Church. That's what it was. That's why we were Byzantine. We were practicing the Orthodox way in the Catholic Church, because that's a branch of Catholic Church, Eastern branch. That's why when we became Orthodox, when the Orthodox Bishop came to receive us in Miami, he saw that our church, the iconography was there, not the statues, because that's one of the major differences between the two churches. You know, the iconography is there. The music is very similar. Uh, the garments that the monks wear are the same. You know, the, the bishop said, you don't have to change anything. You don't have to adapt. You're already practicing it. And, and so you had a good relationship with the bishop, with, with everyone. Yes, and, and, and with the other bishops of the Orthodox Church in America. <laughs> we heard that there was a, a little scandal within the OCA that Metropolitan Herman and Kondratik were accused of financial misconduct. Right? Let's break it down to the simple money. Right, right. Mm-hmm. learned how to steal money. You know, Herman was apparently, I like him. Let me let you know which side I'm on. I like him. And, but uh, he didn't, apparently didn't keep enough oversight. 
We brought up their next move from the OCA to the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. But they made it seem as if the OCA's investigation and their switch was just a coincidence. They bought this land in Ukraine years earlier and always planned to come here to build a monastery in the Carpathian Mountains and the medical center in Uzgorod. Leaving the OCA was simply part of realizing that goal. So then you left the OCA at some point, right? We left because we came here. Right. It's like really changing jurisdiction, basically. Yeah, we got permission from the OCA to travel to the Orthodox bishop over here that would be able to receive us. Now, almost 10 years after coming to Ukraine, things changed again. Even though the money they got from selling off Holy Cross would go farther here, it would not last forever. It sounded like the medical center never got steady business and they needed funds to buy supplies and to maintain hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. It was expensive, and in the end, it didn't work out. Now, the monk Vasil and Father Damien were back in North Carolina, working in a grocery store to help them get by. I heard, um, I think we talked about this yesterday, that they both had to get jobs. Uh, They have to work now. Uh, Since they got back. Why, why is that? Why did they have to get jobs? No money. <laughs> That's the one reason we went back. Because in America, you can make real money with real work. It doesn't go that way here. Sometimes it does. You know. And uh, we're at the point where, you know, either we come to find some legitimate way of bringing in, you know, means to support not just ourselves, but you have America going on, you have Vorotsevo going on, you have the hospital in Ushara. Did you see it? We did. We drove drove by it. It's beautiful. Yeah. And that's uh, most of uh, our life's work. Their life's work includes two monasteries and a small hospital. But it was the first dream that they were a part of, Holy Cross Academy, that could have gone so differently. Now, I just kind of want to know, like, yeah, like, did did that affect you guys? Like, like, did that make, did that make you? It was a success. Everybody knows that. And I think if we didn't have this incident, we might still have had the school to this day. And I think our lives might have turned out very different. I think I might have, we we, we probably would still have been there. Right? It's possible, yeah. It's possible we'd still been there. In Miami. Coming up after a break, we get their side on Sister Michelle's murder and everything that happened after. Stay with us. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. 
Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Sacred Scandal. I'm Paula Barros. And I'm Melanie Bartley. Like the lawyers 20 years ago who investigated the sexual abuse allegations, we were curious why the priests from Holy Cross recruited 14- and 15-year-old boys instead of adults, and why they had to go all the way to Ukraine to get them. Father Wendt and Petro told us that bringing over teenage recruits was not the initial plan, but was the one that seemed to work out best at the time. I wanted to clarify also about because you had you, why Ukraine, why Kenyans from Ukraine, another important thing that people might want to know. You guys tried to have American people there, right? And it just never worked out. You, yes, You didn't have good candidates. You said that, you know, also people came, they tried and they left, you know, like there was nobody that would stick on, you know, and that's why since they knew about Ukraine, they knew people were more religious here, that there was more chance to find somebody that would be there for a long time. That was the idea why Father Gregory came to Ukraine to search. The first group I had were all adult adolescents. The embassy would say, you're just trying to import people for work you know, some of our work group. I said, no, no. And that's how it happened. Because the U.S. Embassy told me, go in this direction and we'll see if we can get you some in America. So the embassy was basically saying that they had to be younger for, for them to facilitate the older their... older ones can be looking for jobs okay. on Miami Beach. And getting younger monk candidates who could also attend Holy Cross Academy made their paperwork even simpler. That would be the easiest thing. And if you remember, what was our second line of work? School. So we could write the visas ourselves. Petro's story of becoming a candidate was pretty different to Mike's. He told us that he met Father Went the winter before coming to Miami and spent almost six months in the candidate's house in Ukraine. Mike was only there for one month before moving to Florida. Back then, they both said Mike was kind of quiet and kept to himself. So much so that Petro had no memory of Mike ever being at the candidate's house. Father Went didn't really remember Mike's short month at the house in Ukraine either. 
but we asked if they would have noticed any red flags about Mike if he had spent more than just a few weeks at the training house. I'm trying to be honest and not going backwards. At that point, I didn't see any red flags. And um, it was very interesting because later on when this case developed into more of a case and all of this business that, um, you know, it became interesting to see when did these things start actually having meaning, you know? When does being a kind of quiet person start to mean in, well, some kind of an unhealthily quiet person? Father Wen also told us that it wasn't him who suggested Mike should come to Miami. I didn't pick him. I could tell you it was, uh, I came to Zacapacha the first time with uh, two priests. One was a Jesuit and the other one, excuse me, this was a Jesuit's father, he was not a priest. And uh, they basically took me all over and the father could speak everything they speak over here, Hungarian, blah, 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 go down the list. And the priest's father mm -hmm. that spoke all those languages, mm -hmm. you know, he said, oh, take this little small one. Take the I little said, one. Oh. I talked to him later. I said, remember the little small one? <laughs> I said, was it mine? Because I was accused of that by Gail Levine and one of her brilliant brainstorms. He picked this one up. You know, he was gearing from when they were in Zacapacha. I said, remember who picked this one out? We got a chuckle out of it. Almost five years after starting the program, Father Wen started to think Mike may not be a good fit for the monastery after all. He said around then, the monastic candidate's personality started to change. I began seeing him as not fitting in with the other students. They were, you know, we had a nice school. The kids were nice. You were there. No one was strangling another student in the hallway. And, you know, I'd go, I'm saying hello. The people saying, I get to Mikhailo. Doesn't even say hello. Everyone in the hall is being very polite. And he's like, you know, this is how he's treating me. And I had no affair or anything what is, you, you could in any way, you know, jimmy it around to have something to do with why he is not saying, good afternoon, you know, as if Harley would take anything out, and even in a yeah. worse day. So did you think about that in retrospect, like after the murder, or did you remember noticing that before? I was complaining about him. I wanted to send him back. That's point blank. Okay. Said he was not what I started this about at this point when he's acting like that. Like I'm the enemy. <laughs> you know, we set that us, we brought him over, and you know, this was, he didn't fit in with the other students. Father Wentz said he talked to Father Damien about sending Mike home because of his attitude, but it never happened. Before they could send him back, Sister Michelle was dead, and Mike confessed to killing her.
The day of the murder was difficult for both of them. They were the only two from Holy Cross to see what Mike had done to Sister Michelle. Petro, who was 21 at the time, was the one who first found her body. When I opened the door, uh, I saw something was terribly wrong. You know, I saw part of her body, I saw lots of blood. What, what I remember was that uh, she was, like, lying behind the bed. So I only could see, like, you know, like half of her legs sticking out, and I saw a big cut on the thigh. And uh, so as soon as I got out of the house, I ran as fast as I could to, to, to tell him. And uh, I said, something is bad. I don't think Sister Michelle is alive. And uh, he immediately called 911 without thinking about it. So, And that's when the police came and fire rescue and the ambulance. And, all that. and then I had to go back over with them because I wanted me to lead So you went way. to the crime scene. You were, you were at the crime scene. Yeah. Did you think it was part of like a burglary or, or something like that? Not really burglary because there was not much to steal, but who knows? some kind of like a drug addict breaking in or you know something like that i did think there was a, a nursery in front of our property and so i told the police i said that's the only thing that comes to my mind otherwise so you never imagined that first that it was one of you that no way no that. it was literally the last thing i would think of you want to know what i personally feel guilty about I feel guilty that I let Sister Rochelle down. Because, you know, I knew our situation. You have fences everywhere. So the police show up, what do I report? There are some migrant workers on the end. That's really, what else could happen here? Father Wendt was often accused of seeming unemotional after the murder. People we talked to thought his tone sounded unconcerned on the 911 call, or that he didn't seem sad during Sister Michelle's memorial. But he says he was dealing with things in his own way. I had a lot of different emotions at different times. I can't say I had the expected emotion at this time. We, of course, are always told, as part of our training, to keep the stiff upper lip. And finally, one morning, I completely broke down. It was the lower school. (laughs) And that was it. By the time we were at the liturgy, you know, for Sister Michelle's repose, for the school, I didn't break down. And some people thought, see, he's not moved. So, well, first of all, I'm not there to, to give a show and have people say, oh, look how moved he was. No, it's a different place. Is that something that sticks with you forever? Yes, but it's, you know, I feel I, it sounds a little strange what I'm going to say, but I'm, I hope you're taking it the right way. I had a good relationship with Sister Michelle, and you know, like, to me, I'd, I would talk to her about it, how awful it was and how sorry we were that this happened to her. So you would pray to her and, and sort of speak through prayer with her? Through prayer, and not, you know, Oopsie. she didn't answer back. Um, but, uh, Petra, did you need therapy? No. You know, the, uh, 
As soon as that happened, you know, there was a lot of questioning by police, by different departments, by this and that, everything kind of like, uh, there was so much going on that there was no time to think about what you saw or... You, you needed know, therapy you from the police. This idea that the police and other investigators were a problem for Holy Cross was something that came up a lot during this interview. You might have noticed Father Went already mentioned Assistant State Attorney Gil Levine a few times. And he talked more about it when we brought up their legal strategy during the sex abuse investigation. The legal strategy was, with the sex abuse stuff, was plead the fifth, plead the fifth, like just don't talk and you're going to be fine, right? Because there's no evidence, there's no nothing, so... Tell you the truth, most of it was just procedural by this. It's not like I was feeling, okay, don't wink thrice or you lost the war. You know, heck, I don't know what the war was. By the end of this, the point is, I felt the attorneys did a very good job. After a few of the meetings that I went to of the defense attorneys, what's Gail Levine's club? Prosecutor. Prosecutors. I was to those meetings, and when I heard what they had to say about Gail Levine, I thought, oh, it wasn't too bad for me. (laughs) She was a horrible person. Basically. Why do you say she was a horrible person? What did, what did she do? Only my experience, and I'm not God. I'm not trying to say what I said, you know. Trust me, when you get to heaven, St. Mm. Peter will say, Gail Levine is a horrible person. I might be totally wrong about her, but it's certainly my experience. When we push them on this, it was clear that both Father Went and Petro had a grudge against Gail Levine. They thought she was taking the side of lead defense attorney Edith Georgie. In doing that, they felt she was helping to perpetuate an image of the priests as child predators without any evidence other than Mike's allegations. And that put the monastic candidates and their families through even more trauma. Even though they were opposing parties in the court, Edith Georgian and Levin, but they kind of like ganged up on this idea of possible abuse and all that, that uh, they worked together on that. They were like scrutinizing us. They sent uh, different kind of police departments to talk to us, psychologists, and wanted to find any kind of thing they could find, any kind of, to confirm this, you know. She was here in Ukraine too. She talked to Mikhail's parents. She talked to all of the parents' candidates trying to find if somebody said anything or did they see anything, you know, and she would lie to their face. She would say horrible things about us. And um, I mean, not to us, but to our parents, because we're in the States, that we were, we abused there and stuff like that, that it was intentional. Your kids are going through terrible stuff. They were brought up for prostitution. And uh, I remember I was told that it was Josip Lembach's mother who, who told her that, we don't believe anything you're saying, and you yourself must not have kids, because if you had, you would not be talking like this to us. And that's when she uh, basically didn't ask anymore. So That shut her down. <laughs> yeah, that shut her down, basically. We asked them about the story that all the police and lawyers told us about the day of Mike's confession. We brought up the moment they say Father went, Petro, and a lawyer showed up at the homicide department and started asking if Mike was saying anything bad about the school. That's not true. 
No. Do you remember who you talked to when you went? Oh, goodness. Yeah, so, I remember. Who was Detective, was Detective Nanny. No, I definitely can say that I was there with him, and there would have been no reason for him to ask that. We were concerned about Mikhailo by himself at that time, you know, because, uh, you know, he he was responsible party for him. We had to find out what's going on, you know, because obviously, you know, he could have been wrongfully addressed if it wasn't him, for example, who did that, so. That first phone call that you got from Mihailo, from his first, the only call he's allowed to make, the call he makes, he makes to you. Uh, what was that like for you to pick up that phone and, and, and speak to him? Was he remorseful? Was he scared? What, what, what was... Is he a relative of yours? <laughs> okay, let us No, he was not remorseful. I mean, you know, you're talking about this horrible thing. There was no... You know, facade there. In the good or bad sense of the word, there was... Like talking like a matter of fact, you know. Did you ask him why did you do this? Yes. Well, first of all, he was not the one that told me. The police told me. I don't know what he was going to say. He wasn't opening with anything. So I said, uh, I heard from the police that you killed Sister Michelle. And I'm trying to think, what was the next... Do you remember? Yeah, he, you told me, because I wasn't there when you spoke to him, but you told me that he was very flat, matter of fact, and, and you asked him, why did you do it? And he didn't want to kill her, he wanted to hurt her. Right. Did he ask you for help? No. You know, I said, I have heard that the uh, public defender's office, you know, can give you very good assistance, but if not, let me know. Never heard from him again. Mike's told us that he never reached out to Holy Cross again because after he opened up about the sexual abuse, he no longer wanted anything to do with the priests. But we always wondered why fathers went or Damien never tried to talk to Mike again either. Father Went told us that after the sexual assault allegations were made, talking to Mike no longer felt like it was possible. What category was I in? The enemy, whether or not I was, ever would be, or whatever, how things fell out in the universe. At that point in time, I couldn't contact anybody that was possibly on the other side. Couldn't, meaning weren't allowed? Um, yeah, right. The... Basically, yes. Yeah. When your attorneys give you advice, you can do whatever you want. They never say, don't do it, you know. What kept you from, I guess, 20 years later, reaching out to Mihailo's parents? Well, I didn't speak Ukrainian, and the candidate vis-a-vis these parents corresponded. And I would be there, and they would ask and translate and that sort of thing. But that's, you know, I never called any of the parents by myself. But in this particular situation where, you know, these two parents were in this little tiny village, you know, and, and their son is in a prison and they don't know what 
the I mean, they know that the son did something and that he's saying a bunch of stuff and any of that. Did you ever feel like, okay, maybe I need to sit down and talk to these folks and, and, and just kind of, you know, I... I have a very positive feeling from them from when they when I first got to know them and so forth and so on. At this point, would I have felt comfortable or even able to do any of this? No. I, I'm not never in contact with them alone. It's always, you know, Mikhailo is doing da 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 and that's how we get in contact with it. Why don't you talk? You would do a lot of this sort of thing. Well, at that time we communicated through letters. You know, he would write them letters, they write him letters. Uh, before uh, this is before the murder. This right, is just right. an. Uh, you talk, are you talking about? Yeah, after? I'm talking about after Petro. Like, well, did you, you ever to, talk to them? Did you ever I say, you know, you know, what did you? How did this boy become what he became? Or do you have any conversations about any of it with his parents, who are just that tiny little town? You have to understand that uh, it was a bombshell for all of us. And, and this thing, it's not like, okay, the murder happened, then a week later, you know, things cleared, and a month later we were all like, we can do whatever we want. This thing took years, and there was a lot of investigation, there's a lot of people, a lot of things going on. That There was a lot going on, yeah. and, and besides, we couldn't leave at that time, you know, be, uh, because it was an ongoing investigation. We couldn't, we, we told you can't leave the United States, you have to be here and stuff. So that was basically no... And I don't think they had a phone at home at that time that you could call. Yeah. Well, besides the actual hit on us psychologically and emotionally that this took place, that we lost two members at the same time and one killed each other, you know. Um, Besides that effect, again, personally, we had to deal with a lot of other stuff going on. We, we had to think about ways how to save the school because, as you know, we, we had a drop in student population. And uh, so we had to, that, that also took a lot of our attention. In the meantime, this thing took years that we had to speak to different attorneys, to, to different kinds of police, even child abuse police and all that. So, and, uh, uh, Kind of lost my track. After talking to Father Went and Petro for a few hours, we still hadn't asked anything about the accusations of sexual abuse. To be honest, it wasn't on the list of questions we sent over either. We were afraid that if we put it on there, Father Went would never have agreed to talk to us in the first place. But it was getting late, and we could sense that we'd be wrapping things soon. Then... Melanie got brave and started asking what we've been thinking about all of these years. This is a hard question for me to ask, and I'm but I, I'm ones. gonna ask it. Um, did did any of you ever feel that maybe he was telling the truth with Father Damien? That maybe there's a possibility, even the slightest possibility, that Father Damien was abusing Mihailo? I would like to answer that, not exactly as you asked it. Okay. So, uh, when Mikhailo turned 18, you know, he had been to Ukraine as Father Damien's translator. And I said, you're 18, you can go by yourselves, we'll get the plane, blah, blah, blah. And I said, now, sit down and tell me, what is your, your own view of Father Damien. 
was everything, you know, between you and him the way you would want it to be? If not, what? Basically, I'm giving them open-ended questions. Feed me. If there's anything wrong, nothing was going on. We weren't being investigated by Gail Levine's cat. Nothing, you know, this is tabula rasa. And that's what I asked him, and he said, no, everything's fine. Why would you ask him that? Why not? If something was not right in your monastery, would you like to find out from the candidate's mother? <laughs> I was not asking these questions because just think if anything with it. No, it was more innocent than that. But it was a type of thing I would always do. Did you have any problems? I guess my question is, had you heard anything about Father Damien before that would lead you to ask Mihailo if anything inappropriate no. was happening? Okay, so it was just like a, a preventative sort of like a routine measure to ask that. Questions like that to you? A question like that, because it wasn't centered around sex. Anything between you and Gabal. It could be that, you know, he leaves his door open a crack and you wanted a foot. That was a totally open ended question. It had no sex as an outcome. A, B, C, D, sex. No, it wasn't like that. But it was for anything he wanted. Um, um, another question that I'm sorry it's another uncomfortable one um, <laughs> but I need to ask it because we're here and um, a lot of people would say that there was something suspicious going on between the two of you because you, you said so yourself in the interrogation tapes that when you would travel together that you would share a bed share what? a bed who is doing this reporting? We reminded them that in the perpetuated testimony from the monastic candidates, some of the boys, including Petro, said that these two shared rooms and sometimes beds in hotels. Uh, you know, I don't remember what I said, but I mean, uh, if we went on vacation, for example, you know, we used to rent a minivan and we would like be in the hotel room and uh, we would like watch TV or something, we would like, you know, you would like, there's usually two beds in the hotel room and you would just, we would like hang that, you know, the, as the guys and, and just, you know, sit or next to you, each other or like while you're watching TV, but not, not, nothing sexual yeah. or anything like maybe that. Maybe you just, meant yeah. a room or not, not a bed or like just it's like... Part, I can't remember exactly what I said, but... Do you mind if I interject a question? Please. Isn't the bottom of that question, however you want to form and phrase it, whatever... Were you ever a subject of pedophile activity? No, I wasn't. Isn't that what you want to know? How many other ways you could dance around, but that's the question you want answered. Were you abused? That's the question. Please write it down somewhere. Before we wrap things up, we had one last thing we wanted to ask them. We knew that the murder and everything that happened after caused the downfall of Holy Cross, 
and took away the world they built in Miami. Even though they started over in North Carolina and rebuilt things here in Ukraine, it still felt like a huge loss, not just for them, but for everyone who cared about the school. We wanted to know if they could ever forgive Mike for killing Sister Michelle and setting off everything that brought Holy Cross down. Jesus Christ said, unless you forgive your brother their sins, your sins will not be forgiven you. Those are not my words, but I live by them. You know, would I feel comfortable? That wasn't a question. If, you know, I'm waiting for St. Peter and Misha and I were there and St. Peter said, oh, you ask the question this time. You know, there's nothing to ask. Do I forgive him? Yes. Am I happy about being put in a place? No. But I definitely do, from my heart, forgive him. Because I know otherwise, I'm not going to be forgiven either. Those are Jesus' words. And I take them seriously as much today as when I started. Petro? I understand you, and I also live by the same principles, you know. But for me, well, I hope that God forgives, you know. That's my thing. But personally, I'm still very angry with him because he he really did some terrible things. He undermined Father Gregory's great work. He touched a lot of lives in a negative way. You know, all the students, why we're here talking about this, a lot of students were hurt, a lot of parents were hurt, caused us to go through a lot of hardships. And I think changed the direction of, of our own personal lives, you know by this terrible act. So I don't think, I don't want to see him. And to forgive is not my thing. I just don't want to deal with his thing. I just hope God forgives him and that's it. How do you feel about him getting out and coming back to this area? Um, He better not come around my way, that's what I'll say. Father, how do you feel about it? Um, I mean, you will die sometime, I'm aware of that. If it's, uh, you know, his second go around, basically I'm saying, it doesn't keep me up at night. Maybe it should, but it doesn't. It was late when we finally packed up to leave the monastery. The light from the village in the valley below made the mountains glow against a cold black sky. We loaded the car and started on that four and a half hour drive back to Lviv. A drive that stretched to five and then six hours and then more as we crept down slush covered mountain highways in a near whiteout. Though we hardly noticed the danger of it all because we had plenty to talk about. Everything that Mike has told us has checked out. I don't think he's lied to us about anything. I don't think we're ever going to know. Um, Are those like military trucks? Before we came to Ukraine, the Russian military was already starting to surround the border. People in the western part of the country seemed less bothered by the news, like it was just a problem for the eastern half of Ukraine. 
We talked about the danger of an invasion before we arrived, and even had our own plan to walk across the border into Slovakia if it happened, and we were trapped in a war zone. Now it's crazy to think that not long after we left, those soldiers have attacked Ukraine, and airstrikes hit not far from where we stayed in Lviv. Since it all started, we've been keeping in touch with everyone we met, and we're hoping to share some updates with them later in the series. So keep listening for those, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Sacred Scandal. Sacred Scandal is a production of Exile Content Studio in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. Sacred Scandal was created and produced by Melanie Bartley and me, Paula Barros. Our senior producer is Dennis Funk of Written in Air. The executive producers are Rose Reed and Nando Villa. Production, mixing, and sound design by Helena DeGroot. Our production assistant is Imani Leonard. The show is fact-checked by Kimberly Winston. Original music and final audio mixing comes from Patrick Hart. And special thanks on this episode to Yulia Tarasuk and Travis Roig. If you'd like to reach out, email us at hello at sacredscandalpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at sacredscandal. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.